The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. We are anchoring our series, Misfits, to the classic 1964 claymation movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, I would just like to see, by a show of hands, um, if you have seen that movie before. Would you just lift up your hand? Let me see. Let me see. Okay, almost all of you have seen that movie, all right? Some of you, uh, you say, look, I've seen it, but it was a long time ago since I've watched that movie. And so we were thinking that it would probably be good to give you like a, a little like refresher of, of the movie. W- would you guys like to see just like a little synopsis of that movie? Would that help you guys? All right. So for those of you who has been a long time or those of you who have never seen it, here is a basic summary of the movie, The Rudolph, The Red-Nosed Reindeer. Here, check it out. This Christmas at West Pines Community Church, we're going to be going through a study of the book of Rudolph. No. The Apostle Rudolph. No. We'll be going through a teaching series inspired by the classic 1964 claymation hit, Rudolph Rudolph the the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And insert graphics now. Oh. Oh, wow. Now, we know that many of you may have never seen this classic film, so to get you up to speed, we've put together a very special director's cut. Enjoy. Congratulations on the new baby boy, Dasher. Came by to see the little guy. Well, nice to see you gotta run. Son, you need to go. And come back when we can learn to accept you. Are you an elf? Oh, yeah. Cool, let's ride. Hi, I'm Yukon. Living on my sled and looking for some roommates. So, that's about it. Let's go. What just happened? No solicitors! We're not solicitors! We're just very, very lost. Lost, you say? Well, then welcome to the island of misfit toys. What makes you a misfit? I'm a jack-in-the-box, but they named me Charlie. Couldn't you just, uh, change your name? It doesn't work like that! Oh, look, a cake. Hey, what's going on, Bumble? Hey, Rudolph, it's been so long. How are you, buddy? Oh, no, that Yeti has Rudolph. We gotta save him. Hey, is that the ice cream man? What? Ice cream? Why? Well, I did it. I slayed the Yeti. I'm a hero. The Bumble is our friend. Whoops. Sorry about that. Just let me give you a hug. Yukon! So, should we go home? Yeah, okay. Hey, we're back and no one fell over a cliff. I've grown over the last five minutes and I accept you now. Neat. Hey, I'm alive. And so is this guy. Well, everything really worked out perfect. Yes, it did without any loose ends whatsoever. Well, there you have it. There is our recap for you. But actually, um, actually, that is just a sneak peek. There is the full recap for you. It's about four or five minutes long. It is on Facebook. You do not want to miss that. There's some other things that uh, you definitely need to see in that. And so here's what we've done. We've taken that recap video, 
and we've put it online, and it is actually an invitation to our Christmas services. And so, so those of you who still have your cell phones out, if you put them away, I told you to keep them out. You're going to have to take them back out. I want you to imagine this. If 250 people shared this video today, 250 people shared this video, we would today as a church have already invited 10,000 people to our Christmas services. Here's what I want you to do on your cell phone real quick. If you are friends of West Pines on Facebook, go to the Facebook page, share that video. If you're watching online, just open another tab, share it uh, on Facebook if you can. If not, you can search West Pines Community Church and share that. Um, we might let, this will be your first Christmas invite uh, right here this morning. You're definitely going to want to go back and check out that full video. As you're watching, here is why we chose um, this video this year. There's a, a great part of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is that it, it has the story of all of these misfits. And we're going to be introducing you a little more to these various misfits along the way. There's guys like Yukon Cornelius. There's Charlie in the box. There's the abominable snow monster called the Bumble. And of course, there's Rudolph himself. There's all these misfits. But there's something that happens at Christmas time that brings all of these misfits together. And they find where they belong. And there's, a, there's a, something that the scripture communicates in the Christmas story. And that the people involved in the Christmas story are not who you would expect. They're not the who's who. They're not the most important. They're, they're people that are fringe. They're people that are often on the outside. They're people like the shepherds. It's shepherds out in the field that the angels speak to. There's people like the wise men. That they're from a completely distant land. They come to Jerusalem to find to following the star. They're not who you'd expect. They're not the insiders. And there's this one passage in particular that in and of itself, it's part of the Christmas story, but the passage itself is actually kind of a misfit because so often it's completely skipped over. Like there's, there's no lawn ornament with this guy on it at Christmas time. This particular story is the story of Simeon. And he's someone that encounters baby Jesus. And I want to share this part of the story with you uh, through this series. And so if you would open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. And we're going to walk through this passage over the next few weeks. We're actually going to get uh, more acquainted with Simeon next week. And we're going to set up the, what the, the context of what's happening. This story happens with Jesus as a baby it happens probably a little over a month after he's born. Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple. And here's what happens. This is in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of, what does that say right there? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, so here's what's happening. In Israel, when a family has a newborn child, there's a series of rituals that the law of Moses prescribes that they do. 
There's several things. You see, of course, uh, one of the most famous is on the eighth day, uh, a, a male baby is circumcised. They would take them, him in, that he would be circumcised. They'd give him the name. Of course, the name Jesus was actually command, Mary and Joseph were commanded to call him Jesus by the angels that appeared to them. Jesus means God saves. They're commanded to name him this name Jesus. But then um, around the 40th day mark, there are another series of rituals. And you notice that it says they came to the temple for their purification. Who are the they? Well, for one, and, and there's kind of, it's smushed in here together. It's kind of truncated. It's kind of shorthand, kind of quickly cueing us to which of the rituals they're participating in. But it gives us just enough to get the important parts. One of them is it says that they brought a sacrifice. They brought two animals to sacrifice. What were those two animals? We just read it. Turtle doves, right. They, brought, they were, by law, they could bring turtle doves or pigeons. This goes back, if you were to go back to the book of Leviticus chapter 12 is where you find that law. And for it's a woman, a woman after she gives birth, a few weeks later, she goes to the temple and there's a purification sacrifice that she was supposed to bring. And the law prescribed that she was to bring a lamb and a turtle dove. They bring a lamb and a turtle dove into the temple. But that's not what Mary and Joseph brought. They brought two turtle doves. Well, here's what's happening here. In Leviticus 12, there's a section where it gives a provision for those who could not afford a lamb. If you could not afford a lamb, there's one line in the ancient law that says instead of a lamb and a pigeon or a lamb and a turtle dove, you could bring two turtle doves. Now remember, this is telling us kind of going through these rituals very quick. It's not a play-by-play. So every detail is significant. Scripture is stopping and telling us something about Mary and Joseph and their family. They're impoverished. They're poor. That's something that Luke wants us to stop and not miss in this story. There's a second ritual that they're doing there in the temple that day. This would have been a big day. They would have been, you know, have seen people all their lives in the temple doing this. They would have looked forward to this day one day. And the second one, we have a clue as to what they're doing when it says, as according to the law, the firstborn male that opens the womb shall be holy before the Lord. And this was a practice throughout every generation, every house. If the firstborn was a male... There was something that they were supposed to do. Why? It's because they're reminding all of Israel through the generations of one significant moment in their history. And it goes all the way back to when they were in Egypt, enslaved to the Egyptians. Pharaoh had them. He was using them to build all the monuments in Egypt they were oppressed. They were treat, treated cruelly for generations. God, they cried out to God. God raised up a deliverer named Moses. Moses marches into Pharaoh. He stands before Pharaoh and says, these are God's people. The God, not one of your Egyptian gods, the God of all of creation. This, these are God's people. You need to, God is saying you need to let his people go. And Pharaoh says blasphemously, I don't know who your God is and I don't care. So Moses warns him. 
and says, you're going toe-to-toe with God. Are you sure you want to do that? And Pharaoh's hard-hearted. And so one at a time, he'll bring a plague on Egypt, and Moses will go back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's still like, no, I'm still not letting him go. And another plague, and another plague, and another plague. Things like the, the Nile turning to blood, and then frogs, and then gnats, and then locusts, and then things happening to their crops, and then things happening to their livestock, and then boils on their skin, and slowly, slowly trying to change Pharaoh's heart, and he's still hardening his heart before God, not acknowledging God as the ultimate authority of all the universe. And so God says, okay, one final plague, because I'm going to bring Pharaoh to his knees, and Egypt to his knees. And the 10th plague, he warned Israel about. He said, in the middle of the night, I am going to send death through Egypt. And in every single household, the firstborn will die. Man and beast. And he says, Israel, I I, I am going to make a way to protect you. Every house in in, in Israel that's living in Egypt, I want you to take a lamb, kill that lamb, take the blood, and paint it over your doorposts. And as death is sweeping through Egypt, when it comes across a house that has the blood of the lamb painted over, death will pass over that household. Can you imagine what it was like in Egypt the next day? Death had touched down on every single household except for those who had the blood of the Lamb painted over it. Can you imagine how those people of Israel, how they held their children that next day? It brought Egypt to its knees. They finally heeded the warnings from God. They let Israel go. They were no longer going to treat them with such cruelty. Israel leaves. They cross through the Red Sea. They're going out into the wilderness They're on their way to Mount Sinai where they will receive these tablets with the Ten Commandments and all the law. On the way to Sinai, God says, that moment of your exodus and specifically that night where death passed over your house, he says, I want you to remember that for all generations. And so he gives them two things to remember. He says, first, every year, all of Israel is going to celebrate a feast they are going to call Passover. And so every year, every house is again going to take a lamb, sacrifice it, have a feast that night, and remember that it was by the death, the blood of that lamb that they were spared, that they were freed from their slavery, and that death had passed over them. He says, but there's something else that I'm going to have you do. And and many know about the Passover, but this other law is not as well known. It's the law of the redemption of the firstborn. And he says, here's what's going to happen. Because I spared the firstborn in your houses and even among your animals, because I spared that, now I am going to require from you the firstborn of you and your animals. So he says, so here's what this means. Every time a sheep, the firstborn is a male, you bring that to the temple and you sacrifice it. Every time your oxen, the firstborn is a male, you bring that to the temple and you sacrifice it. And it's working its way through the animals. And they must have been thinking, okay, what are you about to ask us to do with our children, with human children? And he says, every time the firstborn is a male, you are to bring it to the temple, offer it to me, but you can redeem it back. 
and you will offer a lamb as a sacrifice in its place, and you will get your child back. You can redeem your child. Now, this word redeem is a powerful word, but it's a word we also use in our context, right? So um, if you have a credit card and you get points, you know, you get like travel rewards or uh, cash back or Disney points or Chipotle points. They should have a Chipotle point system that you can redeem points for, okay? Whatever the points are, if you want access to those points, we say you redeem the points, right? Redeeming is getting back, winning back, buying back, accessing back something, we also use that in, in redemption. So um, there are redemption stories. There's great sports redemption stories. I was reading an article in the Miami Herald uh, this past week. It was about the Miami Heat. And the, the headline of the article said something like, Josh Richardson finds redemption. So I was reading through it, and here's how the storyline played out. A few days ago, earlier in the week, the, the game um, came down to the wire and they, they had to design a play for someone to take the three-point shot. They selected uh, Richardson to take the three-point shot. The play happens. It comes to Richardson. He shoots right at the end of the game. Time is winding down and he misses. The Heat lose. Everyone starts questioning, is Richardson really going to be that clutch player down the stretch for the Miami Heat? All this criticism, and they're asking, asking the co coach Spo about it. What's going to happen? Is Richardson really the go-to guy? And he's having him sit down with D. Wade and discuss, hey, how, what, how do you bounce back from missing a game, uh, a shot that you could have won the game with? And so then a couple games later, it's getting close down the stretch again. They're going to need someone to take a clutch shot. And who do they go to? They decided to go to Josh Richardson. Now everyone's waiting to see. I mean, he, he failed last time. What's going to happen? He dribbles in on the, on the court. He's moving into the paint. He jukes out the defender, lobs a, a floater with his left hand, sinks the shot, the important point in the game. They go on to win. Headline reads, redemption for Josh Richardson. Why? Well, he, he, he gets all the respect back again. He had lost respect. He had been questioned but now he redeems the moment. He gets it back. Redemption's a powerful thing. They're getting their child back. They get to redeem that child, but it's at the cost of a lamb. Every household is going to do this throughout history. What we see is Mary and Joseph were seeing that they're carefully following all of these laws. Now, okay, why is this particular moment in history so critical for Israel to pass down, this moment of Passover and, and the Exodus. Why is this so critical to pass down throughout history? Why is it vital that every year they celebrate the Passover and every household redeems their first child back, remembering that God spared them? God wants to wire it into their culture so that they never forget because it's a setup. It's a framework. It will help them understand a significant event that will happen one day. It is a picture, one of the clearest pictures in the entire Old Testament of the gospel. Where does humanity find ourselves in every generation? We find ourselves enslaved to our sin and facing down death. What do you mean enslaved to our sin? Man, there is, all of us have things in our life and we all have things that we... 
we wish we could change about ourselves. All we have mistakes that we make, habits that we still have, things that we continue to do, things that we know that, man, I, I know that I, I, I'm just obsessed with getting this and it's hurting other areas of my life, whether it's acceptance or success or money or whatever it is. Like I, I know I have things in me that I wish I could change, but I, I'm just, I'm locked in. I can't get over this habit. I can't get over this personality trait. I can't get over this part of me that keeps hurting people that I love. We're locked in. It's like we're, we're enslaved to it and can't get free. And the crazy thing is, every single one of us, we're, we're facing down death. What we know is that every single human, one day will see death. And so this whole thing is a setup. There was one moment when God freed his people from slavery in de- and death, and it was by the blood of the Lamb. And he's preparing them for one day where there will be this ultimate lamb. This is all pointing to. He's keeping it in their minds because one day a lamb would come. His name is Jesus Christ. You know, it's no accident that Jesus was was crucified during Passover. He's the ultimate Passover lamb. He's by his blood that's shed. We are freed from our sin. God begins to work inside of us, transforming us from the inside out and and saves us from death. Death passes over us. We can now live for eternity because of Jesus washing away our sins. We can live for eternity in heaven. And so I want you to think about what's happening. I mean, this is a significant moment. All these things wired into their culture and it's all coming to this um, unbelievable moment when Mary and Joseph come walking in the temple that day in their minds following the law to redeem their firstborn son. Can you imagine who it is that they are redeeming? They're redeeming the Redeemer. They're standing there just, it's not just a baby. It's the baby that that law that they're fulfilling has been pointing towards for generations. I mean, every other couple throughout the history of Israel that just came forward to follow that law, none of them were given this unbelievable honor that Mary and Joseph are honored with. They are redeeming the Redeemer himself. Unbelievable honor moment but scripture makes sure we understand what type of couple God gives this honor to is it some uh, member of royalty some member of the priestly family some teacher of the law a Pharisee a scribe some holy person some prophet it's, it's a poor family this passage is teaching us that God does not look at us the same way the world looks at us. God values things differently than the way the world values things. And I wonder if there was kind of a a collision for Mary and Joseph that day in the temple, wondering about that. I want to introduce to you this morning our, our first um, misfit. It's uh, one of my favorite characters in all of the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, story. His name is Yukon Cornelius. He's this prospector, and uh, he's this humorous character that uh, is, is kind of lovable. And, um, but I, I want you to see, and, and if you're not, not familiar with Yukon Cornelius, I want you to check this out. This is a little bit about who he is. Check out this scene. Mom! 
Sure, old talk. Mush! What's this? <laughs> hey, you get frostbit that away. Who are you? Who am I? The name's Yukon Cornelius, the greatest prospector in the north. This is my land, and you know, it's rich with gold. Gold! Gold and silver! Silver and gold! Wahoo! <laughs> Nothing. So he's a little different, okay? Um, he is a prospector, but I, I want you to see this. The thing I like about this guy is, first of all, when they ask who he is, did you notice like he was surprised that they didn't already know? Did you notice that? Who am I? He says. He's kind of shocked. Like you're supposed to know who he is. And then I like that he doesn't just tell them. He goes up on a little hill to tell them who he is. He's Yukon Cornelius. And he doesn't just say he's a prospector, does he? He says, I am the greatest prospector. I mean, he's, he knows the other prospectors. He's comparing himself to them. He's the greatest prospector of the north. And um, he's after silver and gold. In fact, there's a whole song that I'm sparing you from seeing uh, called Silver and Gold. I mean, that is what he is about. He wants the silver and gold. And there's, there's one thing. He's not supposed to be one of the misfits of the story. Um, in fact, at one point, he refers to them as misfits. Um, Hermie, that little elf, and Rudolph. He's not supposed to be one of the, the misfits, but he's kind of always seen as kind of a bizarre misfit because his method of prospecting is a little different, okay? He takes the pickaxe, he throws it into the air, it lands into the snow, and then he picks it up and he sniffs it and tastes the pickaxe, okay? That's not normal, and for generations we've said, he's, you know, okay, Yukon Cornelius, he's a little bit different. Well, I recently um, learned that the reason we've all seen him as this kind of weird misfit is they never explained in the movie why he was tasting the pickaxe, and there's a deleted scene that hasn't been shown on television since the first year it was shown in 1964. In 1965, they changed it because they added some things and shortened it for commercials. And ever since then, it's been shown without the scene. And unless you get the Blu-ray or DVD or you search for it online, you can't find this scene. It was cut out. And so I want to show you this explains what I know has been troubling you for decades, okay? Check out this scene. This is why he tastes his pickaxe. This is what he's really been looking for. Look at this. No! You see how it's done? Wahoo! Peppermint! What I've been searching for all my life! I've struck it rich! I've got me a peppermint mine! Wahoo! All this time, we thought he was searching for silver and gold, but he has been searching for a peppermint mine which I didn't know existed, apparently exists, and he finds it up in the North Pole. He's been searching for peppermint. But I want you to notice what he says. He says, I've struck it rich. He's still ultimately after the silver and gold. Now, here's what I find interesting about this movie. He is, of all the characters, the only human. There's a lot of elves. There's some misfit toys. 
there's some reindeer, there's Santa Claus, but there's one human, this prospector, and he is after one thing in his life. It's silver and gold. That's what he's after. And how he finds that silver and gold is how he defines himself as the greatest. He's after, he's prospecting after something. He compares himself to other people. He says he is the greatest, and that becomes how he views himself. It becomes his identity. And there's something in that. I don't think it was intended, but there's such an interesting statement about how we operate. We have things we prospect for in our life. I mean, we're after some things. For some, it's success. Uh, Maybe for some, it's wealth. Maybe for some, it's acceptance. It's romance. It's a a vision for for a family or a career or whatever, a, a title or a promotion. Like, there's things we're prospecting for. We're after it. Trying to get at something. And inevitably, what we then do is we then compare ourselves to other people as to whether or not like, we feel like we've got it. Are we, where are we at on the chain? Do we have it? Do they have more than we do? we have more? We compare ourselves to other people, and then as we're comparing, it becomes how we see ourselves, our own self-worth, our own identity. You know, at the Christmas season, it's, I wonder if this... It kind of stirs up this part of kind of that inner dialogue and sense of self-worth. It just kind of churns it up, I wonder. You know, when Christmas time comes again, it's kind of that milestone marker, you know? It's like another year. It makes us look back at previous Christmases and previous years. We can't help but kind of take inventory over the last year. Hey, what happened this last year? We kind of wonder, uh, how, how, are we where we wanted to be at this point in life? Are we where we're expected to be? And, and there's something kind of on top of this. I don't think this is bad. It's just kind of part of the cycle. But also at this time, I mean, we're, getting, we're, we're seeing family members that we don't always see. We're seeing we have parties with friends and parties at work. And we're around people. And we're getting Christmas cards from old friends. And we're seeing, uh, we're seeing people post on social media the, the Christmas events that they're doing and they're a part of. And so in the midst of all this kind of, as we're kind of taking inventory of our life, we see all of this around and it's so easy to just kind of, as we're going along, kind of compare ourselves to other people around. I mean, it's so easy to just compare ourselves. You know, maybe we're, we're not just comparing ourselves to like kind of previous years, but comparing ourselves to each other. So, you know, we, we see maybe on social media people out with friends and maybe it makes us take inventory of, man, do I, do I feel like I have that? Do I, do I feel like I'm, I'm lonely? You know, we, maybe we hear what other people are doing over the Christmas holidays, a coworker, and you think to yourself, man, I wish I could do that, but man, this is a tough year for me. I feel financially strapped. I can't do that kind of stuff. Maybe it's that season where you see um, someone talk about or post something that they're doing with a, with a significant other, someone, a, a, someone, a romantic relationship in their life, and maybe it's just a reminder. You say, look, it's just a reminder of me that I'm still single. Or you get a, a a Christmas card in the mail and you see, oh wow, they have another child in their life. And just a reminder, that's just something you're still waiting on. And so often we can just kind of take inventory of our life by comparing ourselves around as we're just seeing things and seeing, you know, all those other people having the, the joy and the cheer of this type of year. And it makes us kind of look internally and just kind of, when we compare, we take inventory and 
honestly, it becomes part of our identity and how we view ourselves and part of our self-worth. I mean, I wonder if Mary and Joseph felt like that. I wonder as they walked into the temple, you know, the temple was a very public place, a huge complex, and I, I mean, you, you couldn't do these things quietly. You can't lead like a, a sheep that you're bringing to sacrifice without being noticed under the radar, right? In fact, there are these big boxes that people, if they were uh, going to donate money, they would, there's these big boxes and they had these huge metal horns that came out like trumpets, like funnels, and they would put their coins in. Okay, and imagine coins going down a metal funnel. I mean, it's loud. And there's accounts of what would happen in the New Testament when like a wealthy person would come by and they'd pour all their coins in at this huge ruckus and everyone would turn and there's one account of one person coming after and just puts two pennies in. This is a very public place, all this stuff. And there's probably a whole line there waiting. There's probably other people there to bring their child. And I wonder how Mary and Joseph felt if maybe the, the family in front of them, they had their, their child and they had, they're, all, they're dressed nicely and they look like you know, they're from a nice part of Jerusalem and they've got this perfect lamb and, and they've got their, their turtle dove. And there's Mary and Joseph and they're, one of them's holding the baby and the other one's holding one basket. There's no lamb. There's just two turtle doves in that basket. I mean, it's just for all to see where they're at in the socioeconomic bracket. I, I wonder if that made them kind of look around and wonder if they fit in. Yeah, I mean, this is only a few weeks after they got to Bethlehem. I, I wonder, are they still staying at the stable? Do their clothes reflect that? They still smell like the stable as they're standing in line. I mean, what is this? How are they in line? I wonder what they're thinking. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Maybe they're not like some of the other families coming. They're just holding two turtle doves. Can I remind you what else they're holding? They're holding this baby that they're about to redeem but they're holding the one that will be their own redeemer. They're holding a child that is of such surpassing worth that the life of this one child is going to redeem not just one family, but the entire house of Israel. They're holding this one child. It's not just going to redeem one generation of Israel. It's what all of Israel has been waiting for. This child is not just going to redeem one people group. He is the child that will redeem all of mankind. They're holding such an unbelievable treasure. The Bible says that through Jesus, all of creation is reconciled to his creator. The life of this child will redeem the entire universe. That's who they're holding. They're holding the greatest treasure that has ever entered onto planet Earth. See, you and I don't remember them as a poor couple in Jerusalem. We remember them as the adoptive parents of the Son of God. That's who they are, Mary and Joseph. Christian, can I remind you at this Christmas season... You are not who you feel like you are by comparing yourself to the social media posts you scroll through. You are not who you are made to feel as you you walk through this Christmas season taking inventory of this life. Christian, can I remind you who you are? 
Because this baby, you, you are, you are, you have the identity because of this child, because of what takes place at Christmas. It redefines who you are. The Father sent his firstborn Son, the Son of God, to redeem you. He takes you to make you his child. You are his son. You are his daughter of the holy, almighty God. He redeemed you by Jesus. The son of God. He became the lamb and by his blood you are freed from your sin and death passes over you. That's who you are. Christian, can I remind you who you are? Do you know when Mary and Joseph walked into that temple, there was one place they could not go? They could not go into the holiest place where the presence of God, his spirit, dwelled so tangibly that if, if you walked in there and you were not the high priest who had done the purification rituals at one particular time of year, God warned them, if you walked into God's presence, you would be struck dead. Do you know who you are, Christian? You are a temple. You have been so washed clean by the Lamb that the Spirit of God himself dwells inside of you. Do you realize this, Christian? That the same Spirit that hovered over the formless void of creation before it was spoke into existence, before planets appeared and stars burst forth, that same Spirit you are housing inside of you. You carry the Spirit of God with you. Do you know who you are, Christian? Do you know, Christian, that it says that the angels long to comprehend the mystery that is the gospel. That means when they burst forth to shout for the shepherds who was coming, they're saying we don't completely grasp what is about to happen among humanity. That means one day you will be in heaven, Christian, and you will look at the face of an angel and they will just shake their heads saying, we're going to have to spend the rest of eternity trying to figure out how God has repostured you and honored you so much that you are housed the Spirit of God, washed by the blood of the Lamb, the Son of God, and become a child of the Father. The angels don't even comprehend it. Do you know who you are, Christian? Corinthians says that you have been made a new creation, born again, brand new, unlike anything that has ever existed. You are something new. It says that you have been repositioned as a citizen of heaven. You are an alien and a stranger on this world. That means that this earth has nothing for you that competes with your inheritance in heaven. That means this earth can do nothing to you, can do nothing in reference to who you are in Jesus Christ. That's who you are, redeemed by the Son of God. Christian, as you take inventory this holiday season, How could anything on this earth, anything you have or don't have, anything someone says or doesn't say about you, any circumstance, any trial, how could anything compare 
to who you've been declared to be by the Son of God. You're redeemed. Some of you are sitting here today or you're watching online and you, you say, look, I want that. How do I get that? How am I redeemed? How do I become a part of the family of God? How do I get that? It's a Christmas gift. You just receive it. It's offered to you, Jesus Christ, because God loves you. Just receive that today. It's not about what you do. It's only what he does and what he did. I want to give you an opportunity to receive that today. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? Wherever you're at in your journey, today is the day you can find your redemption by the Redeemer, all creation, all of history waiting for that moment. Find it today. Just put your faith in what he did for you. Just receive it as a gift. You say, how do I do that? Well, let's just start with a simple prayer and you just accept it. So for those of you who want to find your redemption today, let me just pray. I'm going to say some words and you just repeat them in your heart silently. Make it your prayer to God. Say this, Father God, I need you. Thank you for loving me to a degree I can't comprehend. Thank you for redeeming me by the blood of the Lamb, by the Son. I accept what you did on my behalf. And I know that I am free and that I have life. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.